Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, in our um, <coughs> series here, we're uh, inviting you along for our book study that we're doing together. And um, we just kind of take a book on philosophy or theology and kind of go one step, uh, one chapter at a time and kind of break it down uh, so that um, you may also enjoy um, what the world of philosophy has to offer, and also we look at things like worldview <coughs> and um, just uh, d different ways that um, uh, people try and knock down the Christian faith and how best to defend it. So uh, this can be uh, for our, uh, unbelievers as well as believers. So hopefully uh, we um, are a good service to you, and so we ask that you uh, like uh, the videos or the podcast, uh, that you leave comments on uh, iTunes, if you go there or you subscribe through um, whatever uh, podcast uh, uh, amalgamation that you that you do for all your podcast needs or uh, even on YouTube where we do the, the videos for these. And also we cut the videos into uh, segmented parts so that uh, you're able to share them or um, just digest them in smaller bits and chunks. So if you share those on Facebook or on YouTube, uh, we'd be happy with that as well. So, yeah. so today we're going to continue our discussion and cave to the uh, cross apologetics on uh, Mitch Stokes' book, How to Be an Atheist. Yes. Right? So we are not trying to be atheists, but <laughs> if we were to be atheists, this is how to be the best atheist. So That's right. He invites us, both atheists and believers, to be sober skeptics so that we aren't just believing everything quickly, but we're also not dismissing everything quickly. And one of those things that we're not believing or uh, dismissing <laughs> is uh, whether or not uh, uh, science is uh, atheistic in nature and whether or not it explains or disavows God. Yeah, yeah. So this uh, chapter, we worked our way to chapter six. Last time we talked about chapter five was titled uh, Photoshopped Science. And we saw that the logical positivist, uh, Stokes tells us, I had a picture of science that turned out to be heavily doctored, he hmm. tells us, right? <laughs> Their Photoshop version was pristine and pure. <clears throat> Excuse me. In fact, he says it was a little too pure, uh, perfect, eerily smooth, and plastic-like. Up close, it didn't look human, mm -hmm. right? And so in Chapter 6 now, he wants us to be aware, and so he's going to defend the idea that real science is hard. Right. Right? Real science is hard. And so um, uh, so he starts off this chapter by talking about uh, credulity, he says, is a cardinal sin for skeptics, right? right? To be Believing to, things easily yeah. is not what we want in skeptics. That's in fact, right. that's the opposite of what skeptics want. <laughs> that's right. So we don't, yeah, we don't want to be gullible. Yeah, you are right? not a good skeptic yeah. if you believe everything quickly. Yeah, right. And so he says... Um, he says uh, the idea here, the idea that uh, eventually he's going to get at is um, anyone today who believes in God and uses cell phones and computers, he tells us, is wholly culpable. You can't have it both ways. Science has, and here's the issue that he eventually wants to get to. Science has proven itself trustworthy as evidenced by its astounding and astonishing technological gifts. Right. It's wor it works, and therefore we should believe what it says. And what it says, says many folks, right, and he gives us an example here, or at least uh, strongly suggests is that there's no God. That is, science implies naturalism. Mm -hmm. right? Naturalism is the idea that nature is all there is. There is no supernatural. And so if nature is all there is and there is no supernatural, then there's no supernatural God. Right, right. right. Yeah. 
And so in the next few chapters, he tells us, I want to argue that we should be somewhat skeptical of what science says. Notice this about fun, the fundamentals of physical reality. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, that's what science is all about, right. explaining and talking to us about the fundamentals of physical uh, reality. And so he's going to suggest that we should have sober skepticism about what science says about the fundamentals of physical reality, mm-hmm. right, like, which is kind of an interesting claim. Right. In the last chapter, <coughs> we did talk about that Photoshop science and that people, uh, like the logical positivists, brought along this idea that um, you know, they got rid of the junk and they whitewashed it and made it clean and uh, logical and as, as Spockian as you could get it. Um, but there are fundamentals of human nature where we're, we're utilizing a system that is uh, that when you bring humans into the equation, uh, it kind of garbles a lot of things up. And so that's what this chapter uh, kind of critiques is that that uh, robotic scientist in the lab, titrating, uh, measuring. Uh, the, they the, have to have white coats. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course, you're not a scientist yeah. uh, without it. Uh, it's like a doctor with a stethoscope. Always has to have it. Um, so, so we want to look at actually not, not – it's not really a critique of science per se, but of what people claim science is and mm. also uh, what – how to how to get especially at things like the theory how do you establish a theory what does a theory look like it's not something that just arises out of the ether it's something that people uh, bring about and so there are pros and cons to having people involved in science yeah yeah so what he tells us is i'll describe some important ways in which the scientific method is much more complicated than, um, you know, what uh, we often think right. it is, right? So that's it. So he starts off with this, with uh, what you just suggested here is a theory, right? The right. idea of theory. Uh, it's just a theory is the, is the uh, thing here, Which right? many Christians mm-hmm. have on, on Facebook have, have, have uh, thrown out at the atheist who wants to uh, say evolution did it. Oh, it's just a theory. Evolution yeah, right. is just a theory. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, you know, if indeed, so, so that's what he says here. He says, what makes a scientific theory? A lot of confusion, he says, could be avoided if it were dealt with up front. A good example is what you just said, the idea that someone objects to evolution by pointing out that it's only a, a theory. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, gravity is just a theory, yeah, too. Right. <laughs> the object, objector seems to be, uh, objection seems to be that we need uh, not believe it because it's just a theory. You know, in other words, if it's just a theory, then it's less credible. It may not be supported by good evidence, and so we need to hold it tentatively, mm-hmm. right? Again, <coughs> I, I think this is a, a downfall of uh, at least uh, the Western education system because they drill into your head theory, hypothesis, experimentation with observation, and then conclusion. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's a, a, the way it's always been. And you get higher up in, in the, the uh, educational sphere and you realize uh, that hypothesis is, uh, can't be diverted away from theory because what, what, you know, it's not just an educated guess. It's, it's more than that because you're just educating guessing. You're, you can come up with anything. That's but, right. But you That's need to establish a good, coherent, logical theory that has different elements that we'll see later on too. So lack of certainty is not what makes evolution a theory, he says. Evolution, is, of course, is a theory, and it's clearly, he says, mm-hmm. it falls short of certainty, but that itself is no condemnation. All theories suffer from 
the affliction uh, of lack of certainty to a certain degree, right? And so um, rather the main feature of a scientific theory, and now he gets into our definitions here, right? So he says the main theory, uh, the main feature of a scientific theory, what makes it a theory is that it is inferred rather than observed. Mm -hmm. So it's inferred rather than observed. No one has ever seen a theory by definition. Right. right? So th think back a couple chapters ago when we talked about the billiard balls. No one, no one actually sees what uh, causes the, 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 the striking. No, no one sees what, what that transfer of energy is. There is a cause and an effect, and we don't see the, the in-between to it. Right. So the, the why is inferred, the 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 what happened is observed right yeah right yeah so good so um <clears throat> so then he, he and he help he wants to help us to understand this he says the observation theory distinction falls right along the sense perception reason divide right so you have observation and you come up with a theory and he says it's real similar to the sense perception and reason right that those same type the, of the divides. Hume's fork that we saw right. two I believe two uh, episodes ago right. um, where where th those are the only means by which a naturalist can can um, come about uh, um, knowledge. with knowledge is yeah. it's either observed with our senses that's it, right. or it's uh, in, in uh, well, it's it's uh, come about through logical means or definitional or mathematic. Right, right, yeah, good. So, um, <clears throat> so he gives us uh, an example here to help us to see. He says, imagine that you're outside in the rain, mm -hmm. right? You get to his office. Oh, well, so you directly observe that it's raining, right? You're being, it's raining, you see it, you're being mm -hmm. rained upon, that sort of thing, right? And then you get to, uh, and so that's a direct observation. And so there's no, th necessarily, you know, I mean, there's, there's some assumptions built in there, like, you know, I'm not in a matrix. Right. But, uh, but we've we're simplifying made it, for that's the right, sake of right. That's right. But we're, we're, we directly observe that it's raining. That's what he says here, right? So you directly observe that it's raining, and this observation naturally enough causes you to form the belief that it's raining. And then you get to his office, and you're soaking wet, right? Now, he says, um, his office doesn't have any windows, right? Now, he's, he says he doesn't. It's not a cubicle, but it just doesn't have yeah, any yeah. windows, right? <laughs> and, um, and so he says, um, so what, what can he make about the idea? What can, what can he infer from the, from the observation that you are soaking wet in his office? Right. Well, you, uh, you walk through the grass and the sprinklers came on. Yeah, right. So that could be an, uh, an inference from, mm -hmm. from, from what you do. But he says, you know, you come into my office soaking wet, and though my office has no windows, I too form the belief that it's raining. Notice he says my belief is formed very differently from yours. You directly observe the, the, that it's raining. He infers from the observation that you're soaking wet that it's raining mm -hmm. right so so one is a direct observation the other is an inference an inferred uh kind of uh belief right that's why it would be hard to prove quote-unquote evolution because uh you're seeing a species uh, let's assume for the sake of argument that evolution is true you're seeing uh species c come up with new information within its dna structure uh, hopefully we can observe that to a point in time which a new kind is made out of that new information 
And you don't ever really see that because of the long expanses of time that it takes for the speciation to come up with a new genus or kind or whatever label that you want to put on it. Mm -hmm. So you don't actually see evolution in action. You might see microevolution, which is different than macroevolution, uh, a change in, in kind rather than a change in species or adaptation is what we would pretty much call it in mm -hmm. everywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, so the the observation is oh here's a new animal here's a new organism it takes a long time and you could never observe evolution capital e evolution in action right yeah and so good and so he he gives us another example which he says is, is probably the most important scientific philosophical and religious debate in history <laughs> right and that's the 17th century debate over the geocentricity and the heliocentricity with regard to our solar system. Yeah. This right? was big news back yeah, then. That's right. It was a big debate. It was a yeah. big argument, right? On one side were the Copernicans, right, that says, hey, look, the uh, sun is the center of the solar system, right, heliocentricity. On the other side were the uh, Ptolemaeans or the Aristotelians mm -hmm. that says, no, 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 the earth is the center of our solar system, mm -hmm. right, geocentricity, right? Um and so he says, now it's important here that uh, the debate was not about, notice, observation. Yeah, very important here. Yeah, yeah, right? Everyone generally agreed that the sun is over there at some point, at some time, and then the sun is over there at some other time, mm -hmm. right? Everybody agreed with right. the observation. Everyone right? sees it, sure. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. So the debate was over how to explain the appearances of what was going on that everybody observed. Right. Right. And so the, the debate, he says, was about theory. That's the explanation of our observations, mm -hmm. the explanation of the phenomena that's being observed. Right. He says, obviously, we don't observe heliocentricity or geocentricity. <laughs> right. Let's <laughs> got further outside and are able to establish where right. the center of anything was in the universe. So those those theories, he says, are, are inferred stories about what goes on behind the appearances that we have. So, um, uh, so in the Copernican debate, each side had a possible answer to the question. Here's the question. What does the sun uh, or why does the sun move the way it does in the sky? Mm -hmm. Why does it move the way it does in the sky? Well, one side says because the earth, so uh, uh, geocentricity, the earth is spinning and rotating around the sun, right? It's, it's spinning on its axis and rotating around the sun, spinning uh, approximately every 24 hours and rotating roughly every 365 days. And that then is the explanation for why we see the sun uh, here at one point and over here at another point. Mm -hmm. The other side says, no, 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 the sun is moving around the earth, right? And that's the explanation, right? Right. And it's not just apparent. Like, it, it, to, to, I mean, a, a good uh, uh, history of philosophy or a, a, a philosophy of science class will, will kind of bring you into the fold of exactly how long this took. Like, the, this Copernic, uh, Copernican revolution was over a long yeah, period of time, several hundred years, and actually. and and really the the the, the thing that kind several of caused years. it the issue was planets kind of doubling back on itself, yeah. and there's no explanation for that within a certain 
theory or right. a certain model. Well, uh, well, and oftentimes, and he doesn't get into this, but oftentimes technology allows us to help uh, allows us to help end some of these debates, right? So the telescope, mm-hmm. the newly invented telescope, then allowed, for instance, the observation that lo and behold, Jupiter had satellites going around it. So not everything then is circling around the Earth. Mm -hmm. And so that was the evidence, used as evidence, right, to show that uh, something else was going on. But anyway, he says Mm -hmm. an explanation then is often an answer to why questions, Right. right? Why do things appear this way? So a theory then is an explanation. It's an explanation about why. The type of uh, inference leading to each theory, we can call this inference to the best explanation, he says, is a complicated as it is common. And so he wants us to understand this particular complicated process of how we come up with theories, how we test theories, and all the, the real hard work that it takes up, you know, what science is all about. So he says science then is in the business of inferring theories. And scientific theories must agree with observations, right, past, present, and future. These theories must make uh, contact with the world. But no matter how well a theory predicts or represents observable phenomena, no matter how well it's uh, supported by this agreement with observation, it's still a theory simply because it's not observed, it is inferred, mm-hmm. right? We infer it. We look at the guy standing in the office soaking wet and we say, hmm, it must be raining outside. Now, as you mentioned, there are other theories, right, about what might have caused mm-hmm. him, right? He walked through, the sprinkler suddenly came yeah. on while he was walking There's on. There's the pranksters, yeah. got the old bucket over the, the <laughs> yeah, doorway. The, the doorway, with water. yeah, all kinds yeah. of things, right? So those are various theories we might even say in what he's going to talk to us about, hypotheses, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, our theories, uh, but they're inferred. We, don't obs- we didn't observe the bucket, right, and we didn't observe the sprinkler, and we didn't observe the rain. We're making an inference right. based on what we do observe. Even if you had that person say, I was rained on, you have to still infer it because you're inferring, is this person trustworthy? Um, is this person mistaken? Yeah. Is this person of sound mind? Yeah, good. So, so, so there's basically three ways in that we do this in terms of coming up with beliefs. There's observations that mm-hmm. kind of force our beliefs, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it is raining, right? Yeah, theoretically. Yeah. There's inference, right? Oh, it must be raining because, you know, he's soaking wet in my office. And then there's testimony. That's what you just said, right? He told me that it's raining outside. So those are at least three ways that, you know, we kind of... He would not like like our testimony. Yeah, yeah, he wouldn't like that (laughs) one, right? Right. All right, so... Testimony is also how we sneak in God into our uh, worldview there, too. (laughs) (laughs) So the real question, he says, is this. How good are our reasons for believing theories, right? How good are our inferences, mm-hmm. right? That's what, he, that's what he wants to examine, right? So a theory then is this, um, as an explanation, it's an attempt to answer these why questions. Right. And so now he wants us to examine how good are these reasons for believing a particular theory? How mm-hmm. good are the inferences that we make with regard to these questions, right? All right, so next he moves to hypothesis, right? Right. Hypothesis is simply an unobserved explanation. Take a standard gloss of scientific method. So you have the observation. You see uh, the sun move. Then you have the hypothesis. Oh, clearly we're at the center because it's moving around us. That's what I see. 
prediction. I have a prediction that uh, there'll be other uh, bodies in the in the sky that moves around us. There's an experiment. I look up, I see the moon. Hey, the moon's moving around us too. <laughs> look at that. My theory is proven yeah. until something else happens. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, again, this is kind of a, 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 a low-key version of what scientific method is, and we'll cover a bit more of that. He uh, calls it a G-rated <laughs> version. <right? laughs> yeah. yeah, it's more messy than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, we come up with a theory that makes sense of the facts uh, that the world behaves this way. So uh, our hypothesis for are really just theories. Uh, one of the main ways we decide which ones are better than others is by comparing how well they predict the world's behavior. So if we go back to our um, geocentric universe, I see the sun go that way. I predict if if my my hypothesis, my theory is true that we're at the center of the universe, then I'll see other bodies move around me. Well, there's the stars. They move around me. There's the planets. They move around me. The moon mm. move, moves around me. I can even throw something up in uh, low atmosphere and it keeps going around <laughs> me. I am clearly the center of the universe. That's right. So. And don't don't forget it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and and so how how do we how do we come up with um, these these predictive behaviors? Well, we do it by experimenting. Uh, you know, we we look at things, we test things, uh, whatever our 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 observation is. We want to um, find similar areas where we can um, have uh, an experimentation where we're reproducing something or we're we're checking our our theory, our hypothesis, to see um, if we can expand the explanation power of, of that. Yeah, and the, the idea of explanation here has to do with we, we, uh, we make a predict, uh, the, the idea of testing the theory is we make a prediction and then we see how well, you know, what we, th we predicted to happen, yeah. how well that You happened. essentially want to try and destroy it. You, right. you, want, you want to throw everything in the kitchen sink at it. Well, that, so that's one, one way, right? I think Karl Popper, was the philosopher of science, <laughs> Karl Popper said, that's what scientists really do. They're not trying to come up with theories. They're trying to defeat theories, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, that's one way to look at what scientists are trying to do, right? Or there are people, and uh, <laughs> you... you I forget the, the the really good book. It was um, Einstein versus uh, Bohr about the, the the formation of the the atom, right? Right. And and man. Well, the, it was quantum uh, quantum theory in yeah. general. Yeah. And they were they were so key. Like in fact, he's gonna he's gonna infer, he's gonna talk about that. Yes. Briefly yes. Here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, both sides were just vehemently opposed to each other until all the theories, you know, uh, explanations stacked up, all the evidence stacked up, and. The uh, you know uh, the Bohr side was throwing up their hands and you know it's got to be this way but we don't like it. <laughs> yeah, actually Einstein spent most of the rest of his life trying to figure out how that all worked right? and, and couldn't come up yeah. with a way to to explain that. So he says uh, explanation is 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 of a specific kind, the unobserved kind, right? That's the that's the idea. So hypotheses and theories are basically the same thing. Hypothesis theories is more broadly uh, the, the uh, m m several many hypotheses, right, to help us to explain, mm -hmm. and then a hypothesis is a narrow version, right? So of the theory uh, geocentrism would be a theory. Um, uh, things move around me and or, or things move in relationship to me or or the earth would kind of be a more specific hypothesis right right so um, they're really the same thing just in many theories right. is what he calls yeah. a mini mi M micro versus macro right. evolution of theories yeah <laughs>
Um, and so throughout all this, we have to remember that uh, what we're all ultimately after is that scientists tell us or even hints that God's existence is unlikely, whether naturalism is most likely true. So, right. So, and he's going to come back to that, right? Yeah. And so he wants to help us to focus. That's the main thing that he's getting at here. But he's he's trying to help us to see how hard science really is and how difficult this particular claim yeah. can uh, we can be know, to hold. Right? We we know God doesn't exist, mm-hmm. and we also know. So that's the the negation of something. We also know that naturalism is the only true and proper path. The, For the, science. The, the narrow path. That's right. Yeah, right. Not the wide path. Right. right. All right. And so um, so he says we'll turn next to an important fact that uh, the relationship between observation and theories, after which we'll look at the requirements for a successful uh, scientific theory. So what is the relationship between observation and theories? Uh, to construct a scientific theory, he tells us, and he also says this is also sometimes called a model, Right. Mm-hmm. We first carefully consider our observations and then tell a plausible story <laughs> that might explain the observations. Right. That's that's how we construct a theory. Right. And uh, even uh, so. So um, the considered gap, though, there's a gap here between separating observations from theory that can make arriving at a decent theory an ordeal. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, even once we've constructed a theory, we can never observe that it's correct, right? So one major complication in all of this is that there's usually more than, and here's one of the issues now, there's more than one theory or hypotheses that will match the observations, as we just saw mm-hmm. with the you know, Copernicus-Ptolemaic debate, right? There's more than one theory that can match all of the observations yeah. that we have. And right? it's not just those two. There can be also one, uh, also other ones. So uh, the matrix can also be in yeah, that group. Good, but it's yeah. th- there's, there's no center of the universe because there's no universe. Yeah. So, we, so this is called, and, one, and he uh, labels it here, empirical uh, adequate, right? Empirically adequate. In other words, our sense perceptions, our empirical observations are adequate for both or several theories, right? All our observations can fit any of these various mm-hmm. theories. So each theory is empirically adequate. Mm-hmm. It, our sense perceptions can fit any of, or do fit all the all of the various theories, right? So he says, in such cases, the observations alone then can't settle the disagreement, mm-hmm. right? Sun is over here. The sun is over there. Sun is over here at one time. The sun is over there at one time. So how does that settle whether or not the sun is moving uh, around the Earth or the Earth is spinning? Well, it doesn't. Yeah. Right. Which both is, both theories are empiric- empirically adequate right. to the observations that we make and and uh, logically sound. Yes. Yeah. So so when we go back to Hume's fork, we both have uh, observations that are the same. That are agreed upon, and we both have the same laws of logic that are the same. So how do we come up with information? Yeah, right. So that's that's the issue. He says, so experience alone can't adjudicate between equally empirical adequate theories, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, again, he's throwing a lot of terms, you know, highfalutin sounding <laughs> terms here at us. But the basic idea here is our sense experience, our observations, what we observed, right, uh, can't adequately 
judge between the various theories because both of the theories fit our observation, right? So there's got to be other criteria that right, we can right. go Right, right. So other criteria have to play. So, for instance, uh, simplicity, right, which is the simpler theory, yeah. right? Old Occam's razor. Yeah. Limited imagination, <laughs> Occam's razor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ontological and conceptual economy, aesthetic considerations, suggestive mathematical symbolism. How well a theory fits with the rest of the, what we believe about the world, mm-hmm. all these types of things are in, in a host, he says, of hard to uh, uh, characterize factors. So yeah. we look at, and oftentimes these are called empirical uh, or empir- uh, empirical values that right. we attach to a particular theory. So the simplest theory then is more likely to be the best theory, mm-hmm. something like that. Right? Like if you look at Newton, he, he still held to the, the theory of the spheres in, in the universe. and um, it it really was a huge revolution to think that uh, elliptical orbits were something that were out there, right. or that I mean, just <clears throat> just throwing off the the shackles of geocentrism. I mean, you you almost had that for all well, of human right. history. So of Aristotle had taught that you know perfection in circles. So, mm-hmm. so it had to be a perfect circle. That's why they were in the heavens because you know where the perfection lies right. and so everything revolved in perfect yeah. circles. And so yeah, this egg-shaped kind of circle was wasn't even, yeah. you know, thought of. Yeah, good right? old Kepler came along yeah. and saved us with that. <laughs> yeah. So it says the point uh, now is that there can be more than one possible theory that empirically matches a set of observations. That is there can be more than one theory that our senses perceive that's empirically, right? Matches the observations. And philosophers of science call this uh, obs- that the observations underdetermine the theory. Right. Mm -hmm. The observations do not allow us to determine which theory is the correct theory. So we call that the underdetermination of theory by observation. Right. That's underdetermination. Another kind of highfalutin. (laughs) (laughs) Observations alone, uh, which uh, is uh, where the theoretical rubber meets the empirical road, he tells us, cannot fully determine or nail down a unique theory. Indeed, one philosopher, Quine, uh, famously said, there are an infinitely uh, number of empirically adequate theories for any given set of observations, right? Especially Th- if you're Hawkins or Krauss, <laughs> who has an infinite number of universes. Yeah, so, yeah, so there are an infinite yeah, number of... Even op- more. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, of course, he says, some will be more plausible mm-hmm. than others, right? I mean... Uh, space aliens might be, right, <laughs> dumped the water on me, and that's why I'm wet and right? it's not yeah. raining, right? But, you know, plausibility, by the way, has to do with, again, what, the way we believe the world yeah, is, the world background mm-hmm. information, background knowledge, and, you know, how, mm-hmm. how what we think could or could not happen. He gives us a, an analogy here, right, of... Uh, yeah, this XY graph. So, so we, we have this uh, <coughs> theory, um, and it's uh, pressure and temperature. They're somehow related, and uh, we have a theory that if they're related, we can c- come up with a mathematical formulation or or, or um, relationship uh, that um, that pressure and temperature um, seem to have. And so, there's a lot of different um, ways in which we can plot this plot this graph. Uh, we can draw a straight line from one point to the next, or we can kind of do this weird old zigzag to get to every other point uh, along the way to our our 
two points that we're we're drawing a conclusion from, and so um, to 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 believe that um, the two the temperature and pressure have anything to do with each other is um, uh, a factor in deciding. I mean that that's a that's a theory. We we don't we we don't observe those things. We just kind of assume that they have a uh, uh, a correlation uh, between them, and uh, it could be complex. It could be simple. We um, don't really know, and so um, it, uh, there are an infinite number of ways that we can connect these these points. And the data alone cannot make the decision for you. You'll need additional temperature pressure data or some other criteria. Or both. Right. So it's right. not as simple as you have this and this, and right. you just draw, you know, your your your. So the simplest equation. explanation is a straight line, but that may not be the right. how these things are are connected, right? Mm -hmm. So you have one data point. So you have your 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 x y uh, axis here. You have one data point here. You have one data point there. Well, you know, oh, I guess this is the way it works. Well, yeah. no, not necessarily. Yeah. It could be all kind. Could be mm -hmm. all kinds of things Log going on. Logarithmic. Yeah. It could be. You, know, you can yeah. have squiggly lines all over the mm -hmm. place that finally meet that. It could yeah. dip down in negative <laughs> X territory. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, of course, what he points out that you know that these things are even connected is mm -hmm. kind of curious. We make that assumption right. that we connect. The, we can connect these things mathematically. Yep. That's an assumption that we make, um, and um, you know, uh, <laughs> may or may not be the case. Right. Right? I, I, and I always have to do this one because it's always my favorite because it, it was a, a good little meme online. Is that uh, back in the day you had more pirates uh, and less uh, climate change? Today we have less pirates and more climate change. Therefore, there's a correlation of some uh, factor between pirates and climate change. So all we need to do is increase the number of pirates. We lower the climate. Ooh, wow. What a yeah, straight line. Brilliant theory, yep. right? Yeah, based on the data that we observe. I'm, so I'm going to be a member of Congress in no time. <laughs> and the Nobel Prize, right? Yes. Well, and you know, so Sweden has a pirate party, so yeah. I, could, I could just as likely yeah, join them. Yeah, 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 good. All right, so, um, <laughs> so there's lots of uh, theories is the idea here, lots of models to choose from. There's a... Lots of ways to explain the data are that are to explain our observations and that sort of thing, and that's the point that he's making mm -hmm. here. And so the observations are underdetermined, right? They underdetermine the the theories. There's lots of ways to explain it. So one theory is uh, one could say, you know, one one you have multiple theories based on various observations, and it's pretty difficult to choose. Um, all right, so now what he wants to do is to go back to this, um, this idea of inference to the best ex explanation. He says, when constructing a theory, we have to sift through all the possible explanations, right, <laughs> because there's a bunch of them, right, and, uh, looking for the best one. Mm -hmm. That's what we want, yep. the best explanation. Again, going back to the, the you're, you're staying in his office wet, how many ways can, can you get wet? Uh, you could have stepped into a shower. You could have been rained on. Space aliens. Uh, you could have walked through the field with the sprinklers. You could have had the uh, the, the prankster pour something on you. You could have uh, tripped and fallen in, in uh, the janitor's mop bucket. Yeah. I mean, there, there's there's a water main break. Uh, yeah. All those all those factors come into into uh, effect where you're trying to 
uh, figure out what the best explanation, explanation is. Of, of the observation mm-hmm. that you're making, yeah. right? And so we want, and this is called what he calls, and what is generally called, inference to the best explanation, right? Although it's not clear exactly what kind of inference it is, technically <laughs> speaking, he says. So in any case, inference to the best explanation, though, isn't unique uh, to science, right. right? And he gives us now several uh, examples and illustration of inference to the best explanation. The first one is Sherlock Holmes. Right? Sherlock Holmes does it every time he solves a case. He gathers facts during his investigation and then arrives at the best explanation of those facts. Uh, a hypothesis, he says, that answers why are things this way. That's the explanation. That's the hypothesis. The answer being, you know, because Moriarty is the killer. Right. There, that's the best explanation. Or let's take this out fiction. Any trial that you mm-hmm. come in contact with is not based on facts is brute facts but our inferences from those facts right. and it's people trying to prove what why is the the body on the ground because the husband's the killer yeah right. yes of course <laughs> and again it's always the husband good yeah yeah so it's interesting he uses sherlock holmes here usually so when you read uh arthur conan doyle, doyle mm-hmm. on uh sherlock holmes he i think miss uh, uh describes what's going on. He calls Sherlock Holmes doing deduction. Yeah. And really this is induction Mm -hmm. kind of, right? Sherlock Holmes isn't making necessarily a deductive case. He's inferring uh, inductively, probably, Mm -hmm. right? He doesn't say necessarily Moriarty is a a killer, but probably. So that's an inductive mm-hmm. one. But anyway, that's uh, we uh, don't want to give more technical knowledge. Yeah, when he when he meets Watson, he says, "Oh, you're right-handed because you wear your watch on, you know, the, the your uh, left wrist." Right. But maybe that's just a preference that right. you know Watson does right. or, you know, because of his time in the war, he needs it on that wrist in order to uh, uh do, do his pulse. Gun yeah. Or what, yeah, whatever, right? Yeah. So so it's a it's a it's a probability statement, mm-hmm. not a nece- yeah. necessity statement. But he's but Sherlock anyway. Holmes, and he's got a, a, a hidden author in his back pocket, so Absolutely. he's always right. right. So that's Sherlock Holmes. Here's another one. A more mundane but also much important example is when your doctor tells you that you have a uh, staph infection, right? She sees the redness and swelling, feels that the skin's temperature is hot, higher than normal. Here's your complaint about fatigue, etc. Now notice she never observes that you have a staph infection. These... Same symptoms, you know, could be cantankerous lupus, right? Ooh. But she thinks it's that staph, yeah, is a better explanation given <laughs> everything that she knows, right? Because so, you can actually treat staph, so it's better yeah, <laughs> better yeah. to assume that than, <laughs> yeah. than lupus. Right. So based <laughs> on the doctor's observation, the theory, the best explanation is a staph infection. Because right. right? staph infections are more prevalent to occur. Um, you know, th- there are maybe other signs that, that lupus uh, brings about that you don't have. And so, you know, uh, when, when, you're, uh, uh, when you're pointing your arrow at the target, you, you have to know at least to point it at a target. So yeah. you're, you're not going to take these things and say, there's a whale on your foot. Right. <laughs> Possible explanation yeah. of something, but... Yeah. Uh, staph infection for the doctor is probably where it's going. Right. The, the, the last one that he uses, and, I, and I'm picking these out because he's going to refer to them later. Mm-hmm. He says, one last example. Uh, you are an astronomer in the early 1800s and notice that the planet uh, Uranus is now following the path, pre- is rather not following the path predicted by the current astronomical theory. Right? You made the calculations yourself. Uh, the planet's orbit is... Uh, 
ever so slightly off where it should be. There are various possible explanations. You realize perhaps you calculated the orbit incorrectly or made careless observations, or perhaps current theory about planetary orbit is just plain wrong. <laughs> but after much toil and trouble, you arrive at another hypothesis or theory. Uh, perhaps there's an unseen planet affecting Uranus's uh, orbit, right? And after painstaking research, you find that there is indeed another planet exactly where you calculated it should be. You call it Neptune and check, discover new planet off your bucket list, <laughs> right? And so, so notice here is a situation where the theory that you had seems to be wrong, and uh, he's going to make this point later, right? And, but you don't give up the theory. You do further research, and you find out that, indeed, the planet isn't doing exactly what it's supposed to do. There's another planet affecting the, uh, the right. orbit of that planet. Right. And, and going back to, to what he first said, when, when you have science and you have uh, the, the beginning of science, we didn't have this knowledge, and boom, all of a sudden we have technological advances, or, hey, look, we proved that there's another planet in our universe until... Uh, scientists get together and call Neptune on a planet next. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like they did with Pluto, right? right? Yeah. Uh, but but you have this big giant discovery, and so science gets to kind of whitewash all the the critiquing of and struggle that you did to to arrive at that. Because yes, you could have picked. Um, oh, my measurements were off. Mm. Oh, um, you know the the way that planets travel must be the 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 issue at stake. Yeah, that is uh, that is uh, Newton's yeah. our theory is wrong. Uh, <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, the angels are are pulling this planet back just a little bit in in order to uh, convey some message to someone that's not me. Right. right. That's that's a possible explanation. Right. Oh nope, I've come up with this theory. I've done some calculations. They, they seem naturalistic to uh, people, and uh, boom, I found Neptune. And so you can't argue with the results. Look, I did science. No, you, you had a theory that worked out. Right. And so uh, when we go back to Photoshopped science, that's what it is. is this guy in a lab coat uh, makes this prediction. And, mm, of course, it's got to be uh, another planet. We, we have to know this. Well, right. no, no, it didn't have yeah. to be that. Right. But it just happened to be that. And so you get to kind of claim... Uh, the snapshots of yeah, the look beginning. Look what science has done end. for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, look at how look at how this happened, yeah. and look how easy it yeah. seemed. And this point here is, it ain't that easy. <laughs> right. right, science is really hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good. Well, let's leave it there, and we'll pick up the rest of this chapter yeah. next time, and and uh, again, you know, plow through this idea that real science is hard. Mm -hmm. He's going to show us some other ways that science is With hard. Some of our favorite uh, um, uh, topics, like worldview and yeah. how that affects everything. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, join us next week, and uh, we'll continue uh, covering why real science is hard, so that we can be very good atheists. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you next time.